Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. Um, so today I'm speaking with Hannah Findlay. I first came across Hannah on Instagram and I immediately fell in love with her honesty. I hadn't heard or read such open descriptions of motherhood or matrescence before and I felt like she put into words exactly how I was feeling um, and now she's turning all of this amazing honesty into a book. Um, Hannah is mum to Mackenzie, four, and Bobby, seven months. Uh, Mackenzie three and Bert almost four and yeah, Bobby seven months. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for chatting with me. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, So if you were stuck on a desert island and you could take one meal, one drink and one personal item, what would they be? So I'm a bit of an overthinker. So originally for the meal, I was like, I I would take my favourite meal, which is a curry. But then I didn't think that was very um, tropical island, like, yep. you know. So then I thought I would probably go for a fruit platter, oh. like some tropical fruit. Okay. Um, because I'm imagining myself just trying to relax on this desert island because yeah. that's kind of my dream at the moment. <laughs> I know. It's actually <laughs> really good. <laughs> Um, so I would take, yeah, the tropical fruit platter. Um, my my drink, this is so boring. I, I don't, like I'm not a massive drinker. I drank like my life's share of alcohol at university. So <laughs> I don't really drink that much anymore. Like I have one or two annual blowouts and that's about it. Yep. Um, I'm not even like a casual drinker. So literally I would take water. Um, <laughs> I don't drink coffee either. So it's like I just, I feel very boring saying this, but um, water in okay. my drink. And then my personal item would be a notepad oh. and a pen. I don't know. Like they kind of come as a twosome. I think it's a pair. Uh, it's a pair, yeah. Um, because like right now 
current um, obstacles for writing a book uh, kids obviously <laughs> lack of time so I feel like if I was on a desert island right now I could write and it would just be a dream and eating fruit and yeah it would be amazing. Sounds really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of what you post about on Instagram focuses mm-hmm. around um, the expectations you had versus mm. the reality of pregnancy mm. and birth and postpartum. When did you first notice that things weren't quite what you expected? Oh, well, I mean, probably like preconception. Like I, my whole life I actually didn't want children. I've never been motherly. And that I was like that awkward auntie with kids. Like I just... I don't know, like I don't I don't feel comfortable around children. Obviously around my own I am, but I'm just I've always been that a bit weird like that. And I, I had it in my head that I didn't want to be a mum. and so my husband actually married me like knowing full well that I probably wasn't going to bring him children. Um and then we actually took two years to have a child. By the time I kind of came around to the idea, I was about thirty. And I thought, actually, no, I do, I, I do want to be a mum. I do want kids. Um, and then it took us two years to conceive, and so my expectations, I guess, already were like, this is a natural thing. I should be able to have a child. I'm a woman, and already, like, my body was kind of letting me down in my mind. Um, I got diagnosed with endometriosis through that process of um, infertility, and that was a huge shock. Um, so yeah, my expectations just were already like I was on, I was on the back foot already, mm. um, even before my kids arrived. So yeah. Um, and then obviously pregnancy, I was really fit going into my pregnancy. I was a fitness instructor. I used to teach about five classes a week. Um, and I just expected that I would still teach through my pregnancy I wanted to be one of those mums that was on stage teaching like the day before she went into labour. Like I just had these weird <laughs> ideas about it. <laughs> um, and literally I had to stop teaching in about 14 weeks because my back and my pelvis were just so, um, they were shifting so much. And I developed um, SPD. So it just, I could barely walk, let alone try and teach classes. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so my expectations again were just like, nope, <laughs> this is, this isn't how it goes. And then I developed gestational diabetes, which as someone who, you know, was full of, um, you know, health and wellness beliefs leading into pregnancy and during pregnancy to get diabetes was a massive shock. Um, and so that hit me over the head at 36 weeks pregnant. I was diagnosed late in the piece. They, they missed it somehow. And then that kind of derailed my birth because I went from being able to birth at a birthing centre, which, um, you know, is quite low intervention and midwife-led um, scenario to having to go and birth at a hospital, which wasn't part of my plan. Um, and then actually got ended up being induced and um, my first birth was a vaginal birth but with forceps. So all these things were just not lining up in terms of what I had expected. I thought I would get pregnant easily. I thought I would have a beautiful pregnancy. I would glow like a pregnancy unicorn. I would do all the things and I would birth like a goddess in a, in a bath, um, you know, with Enya playing and just, <laughs> it did not happen that way. And then post the birth of my daughter, um, it really fell apart for me. I had um, an episiotomy. So, um, you know, there was a healing process that I was not prepared for. Um, 
the breastfeeding was an absolute train wreck with her. She um, she was quite a big baby, so she absolutely um, burst out of my pelvic floor, and I ended up with a bladder prolapse. Um, she, she was a big baby, and I have a short torso, so I ended up with diastasis recti. It just, you know, there was just this cascade of things that seemed to keep happening and they did not align with what I thought, you know, it was all meant to look like. And then on top of that, I really just struggled to um, come to terms with the transition away from my old life into my new life of motherhood and being this like sole provider for this little being. I just, it didn't feel, it didn't come naturally to me. So I thought, looking back now, I think given everything that was going on, I I was doing amazing. But Mm. um yeah, it really was not what I expected at all. <laughs> Where do you think those expectations came from? I, I ask myself this a lot. <laughs> I think I I didn't have, um, you know, a lot of friends who'd been through pregnancy um, and the ones who had 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 seemingly positive experiences. But in saying that, I don't think um, I was emotionally or mentally on a level to really speak to them about it because I hadn't experienced it myself like looking back now I think of the conversations I had with my friends who were kid who had kids before me I'm, I'm kind of like cringing like oh I just have no I had no clue what they'd been through like I recall going to see a really good friend of mine um, a few days before I was due to, to get married because she couldn't come to the wedding because she'd had such a traumatic birth um, you know, a couple of weeks on, she was still really struggling and and wasn't able to come to our wedding. And so I went to see her and I just look at her now and she would have been, you know, in quite a dark place. And I just didn't, I didn't understand that. Like Mm. I just was sort of patting on the back saying, oh, well done, you've done so good. (laughs) (laughs) And she, you know, like she was, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time for her and I just couldn't see that. And so I I don't think I just, um, I don't think I've been surrounded by anyone who'd sort of had it really, really tough. Mm. Or, or who'd had the, um, that's that's not true, my, my friends had had it tough, but they hadn't been able to talk to me about it. And I don't think I'd been open to hearing it. Mm. And then obviously I just, you know, the advent of social media has been great in some ways, but back when I was, um, you know, trying to conceive and then when I was pregnant, it wasn't as real talk as it is now. Yep. Um, you know, I say that in inverted commas, um, air quotes, but it wasn't. Like there was still a lot of... Um, Pinterest-worthy images and captions Mm. and the fit mum, inspirational mum was huge and we weren't really, you know, as far down the line as we are now in terms of how um, broad the conversation of motherhood is online now, which Mm. I think is amazing. Um, But back then it wasn't, so I was very much, you know, following some of these sort of celebrity mums and these personal trainer mums thinking, that'll be me, that'll be me. And, you know, there was no personal trainer mums online back then talking about how they'd, you know, their vaginas had split open <laughs> their pelvic floors had almost come out, you know, like yeah. there was literally nothing of that. And I remember when I, you know, postpartum very early on with my daughter looking online and looking under these hashtags of, you know, prolapse and um, pelvic organ, um, pelvic organ prolapse and looking for people who were talking about it. And there was literally like, a handful of posts under these hashtags. Now you look at them and there's like tens of thousands of posts mm. that, are, that are hashtagged, um, you know, with people talking about it. So it just wasn't, we weren't, yeah, we weren't there yet. And I just, yeah, I, I believe that's probably where it came from. And the fact that I had never really been 
interested in motherhood. So I'd probably just blocked out like, <laughs> no, not going there. Don't need to know it. Don't need to know about that. <laughs> just, we'll carry on. <laughs> because all of all of those experiences were so different to what you expected they were going to be, how did that affect your mental health? Yeah, um, greatly. I <laughs> so, not at all. I was fine. <laughs> I was, um, you know, pre pre having my daughter. I was probably quite closed emotionally in terms of being able to articulate my mental health and my feelings about things. Um, looking back in hindsight now, like there's been times in my life that I have, I definitely struggled with my mental health, but I didn't have the. Um, I don't know if you call it the courage, but I didn't have the capacity to verbalize it and nor the um, desire to. I wanted, I didn't want people to see me in that way. I wanted to kind of maintain this image of myself and becoming a mother just like blew that to pieces because it was very obvious that I needed help and I wasn't coping. Um, at about 12 weeks postpartum, I got the um, diagnosis from my gynecologist that I did have a grade two bladder prolapse and that's, that's where my mental health took a massive, massive kind of drop off <laughs> the mm. side of the earth. Um, I spent probably the next, well, up until about a year postpartum, pretty pretty low. I never saw any help for it because I was so stoic about, um, you know, this transition into motherhood that you just kind of got on with it. And I, you know, we'd lived, we, we'd moved out to the country. And so where I was living, I was kind of um, already isolated and I didn't, um, I didn't want to kind of get out of the house and seek that help because it was all just a bit too hard. Mm. And so it took me a long time to just kind of get back on my feet, like literally. Um, and it was probably once I started teaching again at the gym, which was at about, yeah, about a year postpartum, I got back into teaching a spin class that, you know, kind of forced me back out into the world and talking to humans and, um, you know, obviously I, I went and saw friends and family and, and things like that, but I really didn't like integrate myself back into my old life at all or, or my old communities. I just was kind of embarrassed that I I wasn't coping very well. I'd put on quite a bit of weight. I didn't feel like myself. I, you know, I wasn't this fit, like um, personal trainer anymore. I was just this sort of mum and I, I didn't, I don't know, looking back now, I'm really sad for her, that, for that for that version of me because she just was so lost. But now I'm kind of like proud that I walked through that anyway and I've, you know, I've come out the other side. Um, but mentally, yeah, it was so destabilising for me and, and probably um, one of the hardest times in my life, which, is, which was, again, so confronting because it was like, but you've just had a baby, your baby's healthy, like, everything's fine, you should be fine, but I wasn't. And there was just that pull the whole time. And, yeah, so that was really tough. But also you'd just, you'd just been hit one after the other with mm. things from, you know, conception. And, I mean, having an, having an endometriosis diagnosis in and of itself is massive. But mm. all the repercussions of that. And um, did you have surgery for your endo? before you had Mackenzie? Yes, I think that was the reason, well, I assume it was the reason we ended up conceiving because we'd been unsuccessful up to that point and um, we got the diagnosis from the fertility um, team and they suggested surgery to have a look. Um, Sorry, they suggested surgery first because they couldn't figure out why we weren't conceiving. They said, let's do a laparoscopy. I think I said that right. And... (laughs) 
and if we find endometriosis, which we think there may be, um, we'll remove it, and that will hopefully mean that you know you've got a, a better chance of conceiving. And it, three months after that surgery was when I felt pregnant. But yeah, you were you were just hit one after the other, and then your your birth was really different to what you'd planned and expected and then your prolapse and breastfeeding was really hard I think the kind of the social narrative around breastfeeding it can be really really damaging I was I breastfed Marley until she was 18 months and I didn't have any trouble with it and then um, June was a bit different um, and she she stopped on her own at five months because my letdown was too slow and she was busy and 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 I was I was mortified. I was so upset because it was that whole this is the one thing I meant to do. Yeah. I had you and now I'm meant to to feed you from my body. I, I don't know why we can't just tell mums that as long as their baby's fed it's okay. This assumption that it has to be breastfeeding or nothing. <laughs> and that that definitely the breastfeeding thing with my daughter was horrific. I um this was pre me knowing that I had a prolapse. And so at the time it was like my world was ending because I couldn't breastfeed my daughter. And I ended up, I actually ended up in hospital three times um, with mastitis. So it's so bad that they had to put me on an IV drip for antibiotics. And I still was like saying to my husband, I will do this. I will breastfeed this child. Like, (laughs) and he's staring at me and I'm like gray and like, you know, pretty much passed down this hospital bed like attached to this drip saying I I will still breastfeed her and he's like why and actually my friend who I mentioned earlier um came and visited me in hospital and she had had similar experiences with breastfeeding and then by the time she got to her third she just was like we feed by bottle and she sat down on the bed and said to me it's okay like you don't have to breastfeed it's not compulsory um <laughs> and I was kind of like hmm, okay <laughs> Like it just hadn't really entered to me that I had choices and I felt incredibly judged even by myself when I did eventually move to formula. And then this time with my son, I was able to breastfeed. I had I had the opposite problem. I had so much milk. I had this horrifically intense letdown. I had, um, you know, so much milk that he was not keeping up with it. And we spent eight weeks trying to make that work. And in the end, this time with the kind of wisdom of my previous experience, I was able to just go, okay, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. It was still a real tug though. And I remember crying to my mum, just saying like, this is not who I thought I was going to be as a mother. Like I just thought, you know, all this stuff would come to me so much more naturally than it does. Like, why, why am I like this? Like, I just don't get it. And she was just, she, I mean, she was amazing and comforted me and just said, like, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world that you that you don't breastfeed your kids. Like, just move on. And so I did. <laughs> uh, and so being a, being a fitness instructor pre-pregnancy um, and then, of course, because of your um, bladder prolapse and your kind of post-birth recovery not being what you thought it would be um, – how has your relationship with um, fitness and body image and, and your body changed since you've had your babies? Yeah, uh, it's been um, quite a journey. I, I mean, I hate saying it's been a journey. <laughs> I really dislike that saying, but it really has. <laughs> I think the um, Australian Idol TV show ruined the word journey for everyone. Oh. <laughs> 
they just like <laughs> overused it so much or just reality TV in general. And so now you can't you can't say journey, but it's um it's the right word. It really is. It is in this case. Um so obviously pre baby I was super fit and I mean I've had um, you know, a lot of privilege in my life. I've always been a in society's eyes, an ideal body type. I'm, um, you know, I'm white, I'm um, straight, you know, I have all this privilege and coming through pregnancy and then um, ending up with quite bad stretch marks, um, a lot of loose skin, you know, things that I would never be able to tone up or change back to the way they were um, was really quite confronting for me. It really challenged my beliefs around what I thought was a good body and I didn't realise just how much like how deeply ingrained diet culture was inside of me, um, how deeply ingrained these patriarchal beauty standards were inside of me. They really, um, they really drove a lot of my behaviour around exercise, eating, how I dressed, how I felt about myself. And it took motherhood for me to notice and understand all of these concepts. The interesting thing is by the time I got sort of two years postpartum after my first, I actually... I probably for the first time in my life actually liked my body, even though I was, you know, had stretch marks, loose skin. Um, I had a bladder prolapse. My, my abs never came back together. Like, but I actually was really comfortable. It was, it was really, yeah, I couldn't believe it. And now I'm in a place where you know, I've got more abs separation. My prolapse is um, pretty much uh, the same as last time. And I have more stretch marks, way more loose skin. I have a C-section scar now. Um, my boobs after breastfeeding and will never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I, to be honest, it's, it, it's still a struggle for me. I, I you know, I definitely, um, I'm, I'm aware of why though, which I think is um, a big, a big part of the acceptance. So I'm aware that I feel that way because I've spent my life trying to fit these standards of what the world thinks women should look like. And I have, um, you know, I have, how, how do I say it? I have been um, given opportunities and I've, I've had success through in my life because of the way I've looked, because of the way I've, um, you know, conformed and, and fit it, fitted into these um, boxes. And so, just yeah rewriting all of that is really hard it's something that that hits me quite deep because I have a daughter and I don't want her to have these same scripts I don't want her to have um you know the same issues that I've had and that make that motivates me a lot Mm. but it's still you know it's still incredibly hard and I'm I'm really proud that I have managed to still wear swimsuits still go to the pools with my daughter go to the beach haven't um I haven't stopped myself from living with my daughter and um letting her see me hate myself I I just don't I I never want her to do that but that's not to say that internally I still don't struggle with a lot of those hateful feelings and and that you know that mean girl voice so it's pretty loud it's a journey (laughs) it's very loud and I have um you know I have this ab separation which possibly will never come back um to you know to a point that's safe for me and so I will I'm in in the process of um looking into surgery and how to fix that and that 
conflicts deeply with what I've learned about myself and about, um, you know, women and, and the expectations of how they look because I don't want to go and have this procedure, which is technically a lot of it is cosmetic, um, but for me a lot of it is actually functional. So having a core that holds my body together is important. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I don't, um, you know, I don't want my daughter to see it as, as something that I had to do because I wanted to look a certain way. It's um, So I'm wrestling with that at the moment, mm-hmm. even though it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a woman's prerogative to do what she wants to do with her body. And I don't judge anyone either way. Um, but I still, I still find it hard to, yeah, wrap my head around it all. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So once you came around to the idea of having babies, you knew that you wanted more than one? Well, yeah. I mean, I come from a family of three, so it was always kind of, um, I guess, the picture in my head was at least two. Mm. And But then after I had my daughter, uh, we were definitely just capped at one for a long time. And, you know, I really struggled with that because I, it didn't fit my, you know, ideal family vision that I had um, but I just also could not picture myself going through what I'd been through again I just physically and emotionally I I just did not know how I would do it and it wasn't till about 18 months <clears throat> postpartum that I really started to feel more like myself and physically felt more capable that you know we the conversation turned to maybe we can do this maybe we should try and so we did um and then we kind of um, weren't having much luck, <laughs> which I sort of thought we we would, you know, we, we would have trouble again because of the previous complications. Um, and then lockdown happened. So coronavirus hit and we ended up in lockdown for about four weeks here. No, it was longer, five weeks here in New Zealand and then had, you know, extension of restrictions. And that really threw me because I was just kind of, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen and the thought of um, being pregnant through a pandemic didn't appeal. And then we have been so fortunate here in New Zealand, incredibly privileged to have, um, you know, up until recently lived without the virus for most of the pandemic in a country. So, you know, we, I had the confidence to then go back to my husband and say, no, I, I think we can do this. And we randomly fell pregnant probably two months later, um, which was a, which is amazing, but also hit me again quite hard because I, I felt, kind of thought I'd have more time. <laughs> so you know, on one hand, I was like, wow, like we're pregnant. I could not believe it. But then on the other hand, I was like, shit, we're pregnant. <laughs> like, I don't know. 
can I really do this? Like, you know, in theory and in, in my mind, I was like, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And then once it actually was a reality, I was like, oh God, um, I have to do this again. And I don't know if I can. So yeah, that was quite interesting. And how has your second postpartum differed to your first? Uh, really different, actually. Um, so the, the pregnancy, I, I would say this time around was harder because I had a toddler to run after. Um, I had you know, all the complications of my previous pregnancy to consider. So the prolapse really played on my mind. Um, I was often, you know, caught up in symptoms and how I was feeling and what was happening in my pelvic floor. Um, my SPD returned and my diastasis obviously just opened right up pretty much from about eight weeks um, <laughs> pregnant. My my core just started to loosen. Obviously all the relaxin filled my body and I just, that was really hard. Um and so then coming into postpartum, I knew that I'd have quite a journey, is that word again, <laughs> a journey back to where I'd got to at that sort of two-year mark, which was when I fell pregnant with my daughter, um, with my son, sorry. So, you know, I got so strong and so happy in myself and my body and really accepting of all these changes and then to have to look ahead two years to feel like that again was quite daunting for me. Um but luckily this time around, obviously, I I didn't have a vaginal birth, so I didn't have the um, that to recover from. I had a, a C-section to recover from, which was very different. It was really hard, way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, I had some complications with my wound and then, which actually turned out to be a tape allergy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought the worst and thought, you know, my wound was a reopening, but it wasn't. It was just an incredibly... Um, bad rash and um, just trying to recover with a toddler and life has is way busier now um, so that was really hard but mentally I was way more kinder and softer and gentler with myself this time like I really allowed for that those first 40 days to really just rest and put no pressure on myself. Um, I was super supported by my parents and my mother-in-law. Like they literally fed me, um, clothed me, looked after my kids, cleaned my house. Like, I, And I really accepted that help this time. Whereas the first time around, I was very um, caught off guard by how much I really needed help. I just thought, oh, you push the baby up. You had a few days recovery. That's <laughs> normal. You know, you resumed life as a, you know, as a human, but with a baby in tow. <laughs> um, I had no idea about the fourth trimester, none of that. And so coming into this postpartum, I'd done a lot more, um, you know, understanding of how, what the body needs to heal, eating nutritious food, rest, sleep. Not that we got much sleep, but, um, you know, accepting help was huge this time and made all the difference. And so coming out of, you know, that first tri fourth trimester, um, I felt in a completely different place. So, you know, after my first pregnancy, I was just finding out that I had a bladder prolapse and grieving breastfeeding and not understanding what the hell had happened to my life and who I was. Whereas this time I was like, okay, we've done, you know, that, that, that year is done of growing a baby, of birthing that baby, of recovering from all of that. And now we begin again. And yeah, I think, that's been really powerful for me and my family because I've been such a different person for both my kids um, compared to the first time. So how has your experience of, of motherhood in all of these forms and everything that you've been through physically and mentally 
How has that shaped your sense of self and identity now? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still going with that, I think. Um, My whole life I've been really driven by outcomes and, and goals and, you know, my happiness has been attached to a lot of the things that I've done and that I've achieved and that I've been or titles that I've had or status that I've accumulated. And, you know, motherhood has completely unraveled that way of looking at life for me. And I was just saying to a friend literally a couple of nights ago that I, my focus lately I've realized has, has shifted from living you know, this pursuit of happiness in terms of attaching it to an outcome, I'm trying to shift that to finding happiness through just like feeling the joy of what I'm doing. Um, And it's taken me two kids and three and a half years to feel that true joy of being a mother, which sounds horrific when I put it like that, but I, I mean that in a way that I've a lot of the time I've looked at motherhood as this thing that I kind of had to get through because probably because of all the things that I was getting hit with alongside the fact that motherhood is very hard um, and we don't give ourselves enough credit for, you know, the depth of the the places we have to go to and (laughs) the deep um, soul searching that happens when we become mothers. We just, we kind of just get on with it. It's a moving beast. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, that's right. So, and so instead of, you know, kind of going, okay, I'm a mum now and, you know, I need to achieve this and that and then do all these things alongside motherhood, I'm just, I've kind of finally got to a place. It's taken me three years to go, I'm a mum and I love it. And that's all I'm doing right now. And that's okay. I don't need to be, um, you know, a mum and this and that. And I do this. Like, I'm quite happy mumming. And, you know, that's, I feel sad to admit that it's taken me that long. <laughs> but, but it it does. Like, <laughs> but it has. It's, our kids are similar ages. My, um, my second's a little bit older mm. than, than Bobby. Um, but it, even little things, I've noticed lately I've been thinking along similar lines. You know, when we go for a walk to the park, in my head I'm like, we've got to walk to the park and the park is our end goal and that's where we're going. Um and it's taken me until now really to while we're walking, if the girls want to stop and look at something or get out of the pram and do something along the way or sit at a bus stop for five minutes and wave at people, that's what that's what we're doing. We're not yeah. – you don't have to get to the end goal of the park or if we do yeah. and we're there for five minutes and we turn around again, that's fine too if it's taken us 45 minutes to get there because yeah. it's, again, the – the journey word it's the mm-hmm. it's the the journeying along the way that's the nice part and so many lovely things happen within that space and I'm I mean I'm yeah. talking about day-to-day things but I think it's applicable to the bigger picture absolutely we um we spend a lot of time at home and I find getting out of the house quite hard <laughs> especially with two kids and I feel I felt a lot of pressure through um through the last three and a half years to do that, to constantly be doing something as a mum with my kids, whereas they don't actually care. They they are so happy here being with me and I have just taken far too long probably to feel the same way, which, you know, in hindsight, I haven't missed anything, but I it's taken me a long time to just relax into the present mm. and be present with them. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been kind of hard to reconcile but 
I'm kind of happy where I am now. Well, what's something empowering that you would say to a, a new mum or a new parent? Gosh, um, I think probably along the lines of what we were just talking about, like I look back and, and there's lots of things that I would have done differently, but I think the moment this year that made me kind of check myself was that I just accepted that I was doing my best and, you know, my best was what I am, a cap- you know, what I'm capable of today is my best and that's okay. You know, that is, that is actually enough. Um, it's just, you know, we're, we're so bombarded with all these narratives of motherhood and, and what it should look like. And when it doesn't go to plan, which a lot of my journey has not gone to a plan, it hasn't looked the way I thought it would look. And I've often felt that I failed at, at parts and my body's failed me and this is this hasn't happened and I haven't been good enough when really like all along, every moment, like I've still carried on, I've still got up and and mummed and raised my kids and it's enough, it's good enough. Um and just and just surrendering to that has been really um life changing, <laughs> literally. So yeah, my advice to mum to to any new mum or old new whatever um, is just yeah, like you are enough in that moment. Like <laughs> there's no amount of experience or courses or Instagram posts that will make you better than you are already right now. And just accepting that is so freeing. So yeah, I think that's excellent, empowering advice. <laughs> Takes a while to wrap your head Thanks. around, I think, but but it's. Yeah, perfect. Well, it's like a friend said to me, um, she was struggling with the sleep thing, as we all do. And and she said to me, the moment that I just surrendered to my kid and what they needed was the moment that it all changed. And I never really understood that because mainly because my my daughter um, was actually quite a good sleeper up until lately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I didn't understand that surrender truly until this year. Like, and I think that's when I, you know, when I did surrender and just accept that my best is good enough and it does, it's, it's so, it's a, it's a light feeling once you give yourself permission. I've found the word surrender to be very, um, very freeing too. Something I said to a a girlfriend who had her, her first, um, about a year ago, so to her, you know, if there's a day that all you do is feed both of you, that's it. That's all you have to do. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it takes a lot for us to get there, like particularly if you've been someone who's sort of been motivated by, you know, ticking things off and doing things and achieving things. And like I said to you earlier, like an outcome-based view of yourself, like I must achieve this today, therefore I am enough. Yes. <laughs> I am worthy. <laughs> And shifting to that, we're going to just feed ourselves today. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a lot to get there. But when you do, like, it's like, why have I not lived in this place for so much longer? Why have I taken so long to get here? Why have I not given myself permission? This is great. (laughs) Do you think that that prenatal education um, should play a part in all of this? I don't know what it's like in in New Zealand, um, but we did a a privately run 
prenatal class before we had Marley um, and they cover all the things you'd expect them to. Um, but none of it mentioned um, any kind of shift for the mum postpartum. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same here and it's interesting because um, my mum actually was uh, here in New Zealand. We have a, a body called Plunkett, which um, she was the national parenting advisor for them and so she was involved with a lot of that education that um, comes out for parents and um, but not involved in the prenatal stuff. And I know that she would say it's a huge gap. And we we did our prenatal class. Um, it was like an evening thing that we did. And I think we got about three quarters of the way through it and then actually just stopped because it was so um, invaluable. Like it's not invaluable, um, un-invaluable. <laughs> You know the word I'm valuable. looking for, right? <laughs> um, it wasn't valuable, That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And, you know, we were learning how to change nappies and they were talking through the different modes of birth as if it was this, like, <laughs> clinical thing that we got to choose. And it just, if someone had sat me down and, and said, like, have a chat with your partner about what's going to change in terms of your relationship, in terms of um, you as a mum, as a person, like how are you going to cope? What are your support systems? What do you, you know, that would have been so much more helpful because we hadn't thought of that. We didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. Your husband's a fitness instructor as well. Yeah, part part time. He's we have our own business. Um, he's a mortgage broker um, by day, <laughs> fitness instructor by night. <laughs> he doesn't really teach anymore, to be honest. He's um, he has like one class every couple of weeks, but he did used to have a big um, fitness profile I guess did you um was there kind of any um I'm I'm certainly not putting words in your mouth I'm just curious was there any sort of resentment or feelings of angst um postpartum for you um in terms of his physicality versus yours oh there still is (laughs) (laughs) um I'm very open about it with him though and you know it's something that we're both aware of that my default is to resent Um, his bodily freedoms (laughs) that I no longer have, his abilities that I'll never um, catch up to. Um, I I really struggle and I catch myself often when, you know, he's heading off to his gym session to go and do all these fun things and I'm there doing my rehab in the garage at home and I'm, you know, muttering under my breath and puffing and puffing and and then I catch myself and I'm like – Yay, this really doesn't serve us. Um, but it's it's still there. It's still so hard. I yeah, it took me probably till my son was born to realise that that was quite damaging for us in our relationship. Um he finds it so hard because there's nothing, literally nothing he can do. Um it's not like it's not like if he stopped um working out, I'd feel any better, I'd feel worse. <laughs> so, you know, there's actually nothing he can do other than support me. Um to get to where I want to go, you know, and and to, and to get back to, you know, um, some form of function and strength that, that I'm happy with. I'll never be what I, what I was, but, you know, there's, there's still lots that I can, you know, achieve in the future. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, we've always done fitness together. Like since we met, we, we connected, not through fitness, we actually met at a pub, but anyway, um, <laughs> We had that, we've had that in common the whole time. We've always been active and fit together. We've always, you know, we'd go on holidays together and we would book a hotel that would have a gym, you know, because that was a value of ours and it's always been important. 
And so when that first year after my daughter was born where I pretty much didn't exercise, that was the first time ever in our relationship where, you know, I wasn't active with him and and that really that was really hard. Like even small things like we live on a lifestyle block and that first year after my daughter was born I really couldn't help around the block. Like I couldn't lift things or, you know, physical things were kind of out of my um my reach for quite a while. And that that again was the first time that we just weren't sort of side by side and that was that was quite hard. Um but this time around I've obviously kind of got back to a a degree of strength faster and I'm less resentful of that and I'm aware of that. But I think it will always be something that I'll struggle with, like why me? Why did this happen to me and not you? Like <laughs> No, the physicality of it's so unfair, isn't it? I Yeah. My husband used to say, like, surely evolution should catch up and men should be able to breastfeed as well. Like, (laughs) he was like. uh, Absolutely. Like, if we can birth the baby, like, why can they not just step in at some point? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been so nice and I'm – I mean it. I've just absolutely – your Instagram is an endless source of – joy and recognition um it's it's yeah you speak so honestly and openly so please keep keep sharing I definitely will I have um I've been a bit quiet lately I just um the tiredness and just mum life has been kicking my butt but yeah I love I love sharing on there it's not something that I kind of planned it just sort of happened one day and then it's evolved into what it has um but I'm really glad I did because it's been a hugely healing part of um, becoming a mum for me, having that outlet, both from a creativity point of view, but also the connection with like people like yourself and the heap of others that I've met through that. I, I wouldn't have met those people if I hadn't been vulnerable and open. So um, each time I second guess myself and think about stopping, I'm like, no, this is, you know, the, the, um, the positive far outweighs the negative feelings I have about it sometimes because mm. I mean it is tricky being vulnerable on the internet but um, there's also a lot of, of joy that comes from it as well Thank you very much Hannah for chatting with me today and telling your story there are lots of useful links in the show notes for information on pelvic girdle pain gestational diabetes mastitis, diastasis recti and bladder prolapse Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brody Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.